people are strange. People get ready. People. People who need people. and welcome back to People with Barry Quarter. When I conceived this podcast, oh, several months ago, I always knew arts, music, and entertainment were going to be part of it, but I also knew that food was going to be a component. Why? Well, because I like to eat. We all like to eat. But I'm also married to a foodie of the highest degree. I've only seen her read one book that wasn't a cookbook. Uh, I won't say which book, but it surprises me to this day. But anyway, she will curl up every night in bed with at least three or four cooking magazines, food-related magazines, and easily that many cookbooks. She once or twice a month goes to the local resale shop and trades in old ones for new ones. She loves to cook. It's what she does to unwind. It's what she does... When she's stressed, when she's happy, whatever. There's nothing she likes more than being in the kitchen, except maybe reading cookbooks and watching food shows on television, which means I watch a lot of food shows on television. But it also means that I eat very, very well. So I'm aware of food and cooking and its role in our culture. And I knew that there were several chefs and restaurateurs and owners in our area that I wanted to talk to for this podcast. And I have two of those guys with me today. Max Popple and Dan Rose are here. They've joined me in the 1921 Society Lounge in the beautiful Tivoli Theater, which, by the way, if you haven't been to lately, you need to go. The shows they've been getting are incredible, but what they've done to the facility over time... Uh, they, last time I was in there, they added a couple of couches and chairs and coffee tables in the corners up on the mezzanine. Little things like that just make it feel comfortable and homey. And Anyway, they've done a great job. So go check it out. Go see a show there, there and Memorial Auditorium. Actually, go see a live show anywhere in town. That's, that's important. That's why we keep getting better ones is because people keep going. But anyway, Max and Dan, you'll hear... I met them probably back around 2009, 2010. They were just about to open the crash pad, which is a hostel for basically the people who come to this area to enjoy what we have to offer in the outdoors. Kayaking, boating, biking, hiking, rock climbing, skydiving, hang gliding. What's interesting is when we spoke back then, a decade ago, I was surprised then, as I am surprised now, that no one had thought that we could probably do with a hostel dedicated to those kind of people. I also have said many, many times that the big turnaround in our city, other than the aquarium, which we all know led to a complete downtown renaissance, is that people seem to have people like civic leaders organization organizations uh, marketing people realize that people who climb rocks or hang glide or hike also like to eat 
They also like to be entertained. So we've started marketing those things together. Dan and Max, you'll hear uh, a lot of people, myself included, like to give them credit for being such visionaries, for building such beautiful facilities as the Crash Pad and the Flying Squirrel, and for combining all of those things. But what you'll hear is that they, I don't want to say got lucky, um, they, but they did not move here with that intention at all. They came here to rock climb and just loved it and decided they wanted to stay here and decided they wanted to go into business together. And where they, why I say hesitate to just plain call them lucky, they were smart enough to do a lot of research. They went to people who knew how to design buildings and asked them to help. And then once they got, once that train started down the track, it, uh, it, it barreled right along and became what we now know as two of the coolest buildings, not just in our area, but in the country. They've earned all kinds of awards for their their design and their lead certification. It, it's a pretty remarkable story. And what I found most interesting is how they've done it. Because like I said, I think we want to give them a, a lot of credit uh, for not just being visionaries in what they've done, but in seeing where the South Side could go and where the where the market was going to go and what people were going to want. And we'll also hear that it's not always been easy. Uh, they continue to struggle, as, as a lot of our restaurants do. More and more restaurants open, it means a bigger pie, and, and that means people are going to different places. You can you know have a good night one, one day of the week and then uh, struggle for the next several. So it's very fascinating conversation, both about being restaurateurs and running a hostel and also just sort of keeping up on your staff, what's important, the menu, the staff, being nice, being friendly, being accommodating when people come in. So anyway, as I hoped it would be, it's a fascinating conversation and I hope you guys think so as well. As always, thank you very much for listening. We are in the 1921 Society Lounge in the Tivoli, a cool space that they're kind enough to let let me use. It's pretty neat, isn't it? Yeah, this is awesome. Yeah, I didn't know this was here. It's beautiful. It's fairly new. It's only a month or two, maybe. Okay. Um, but it's pretty well, good work, Tivoli. It yeah. was a, it was a storage space. Looks like it's oh. been here forever. Speaking of, <laughs> you guys, uh, we're gonna jump all over because that's the way my brain works. Mm-hmm. But let's let's try to start somewhat at the beginning. You, you guys started with the crash pad. Mm-hmm. You were what living in New York? We uh we went to school in upstate New York. Both of us are from the Boston area suburbs. Yeah. And it was mountain climbing that brought you here, right? Yeah, rock, rock climbing. climbing. Exactly. Yeah, we moved down here in the end of 2005. Um, we definitely arrived kind of accidentally in the bar restaurant business um, as far as moving down here, you know, driven by the outdoor access and the promise of a new cool city to explore. And, and it wasn't until both of us had been here for years that we even started talking about opening up a business. And, and at that point, even then, it, it was to cater to climbers like us. Right. I remember, I think we met, what, at Burger Place, right? I think it was the first time. Way, way, way back. Way back, yeah. Jeez, test our memory there. Mm -hmm. I know, I had to think about it, too. And I remember you telling me about the idea for the crash pad, a hostel catering Mm -hmm. to climbers. Yeah, and you thinking it was really stupid? No, I remember (laughs) thinking, and I still think, how had that not been done before? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, we asked ourselves that question a lot as well. And we got that question a lot from people that we spoke to, like, oh, you know, I had the idea to do it, just haven't done it. Or like, yeah, it's a great, like, obvious idea, crazy it hasn't been here before. Yeah, I mean, all the all the factors were lined up in our favor, including having a city that was totally willing and ready to embrace 
these, uh, you know, ad- adventure tourists, as it were, as like a real economic driver and, and a real part of the city. I have mentioned on this podcast, as a matter of fact, to me, the renaissance of this city happened. And you guys are a big, big part of it when city leaders, civic leaders sort of looked around and said, you know what, all of these climbers, bikers, kayakers, hang gliders, they also like to eat. Sure. I mean, it seems Mm -hmm. so obvious, but it wasn't. Yeah, if they're going to travel here and be here for a week or two days or whatever it is, I mean, they're not just going to. And they also like to be entertained. Yeah. And so that's that to me is when the city started packaging everything together instead of trying to, you know, just target their marketing towards bikers or sure. climbers. It's a complete mm-hmm. vacation experience now. It wasn't like that when you came here, though, was it? Uh, you or know, was it just starting to happen? It wasn't as easily digestible and, and in front of your face. And there weren't as many options, no. And we can't claim to have started any renaissance. I mean, it was the foundation that had been laid since we were named the dirtiest city way back. And just the vision those guys had to create the infrastructure for people like us to be able to come in and take advantage of it. So we definitely rode the crest of a wave that had started long before us. Right. Well, unfortunately for them, too, it's like we've seen the the demographic change within the sports of climbing, mountain biking, running, Ironman, whatever it is, you know, more and more, a lot of these people are not dirtbagging it and living in the back of their van, or if they are, it's a really nice van and they're working off their laptop and they have expendable income. So these are real people with real jobs who happen to be avid enough to dedicate at least a a good chunk of their their waking hours towards doing this, but, but otherwise they're still they're making money and they're looking to spend money and and that matters a lot more to the city than than a group of you know climber kids that come up and they camp out in the woods and they don't spend a dollar more than they have to right and even the people with money everyone's more interested in spending their money on food drink entertainment experience versus the bed that you're crashing in at night so having uh still an upscale but affordable lodging option really helps to play off that because we can be your affordable base camp while you go out and enjoy the city and spend your money on that experience So timing, timing and location. Yeah, timing sure. and location. I mean, our, our location happened as a culmination of a, a year or more of, of looking, starting on the very outskirts. I mean, we, we looked in Marion County first, mm. and the vision was a campground. And as we uh, fleshed out the idea in our minds, it kind of made more and more sense to get closer to the heart of the city because that's why we moved here. Right. You know, because you can have that, that urban existence without sacrificing any of the outdoor access and that's why Chattanooga is unique and that's why we live here and that's why a a downtown hostel turned out to be the best vehicle for our vision even though it wasn't what we envisioned when we started out yeah you are listening to people with Barry Quarter I'm talking with Dan Rose and Max Popple co-owners of the crash pad and the flying squirrel just off of Main Street on the city's south side just for reference Dan will be the voice you'll hear coming up just in a second, talking about how they developed the properties. Well, let's talk about that. And like I said, we're probably going to jump a little bit all over. It's better for us. Mm -hmm. Because you not only moved it downtown, you moved it basically on a, at that time, back street Mm -hmm. that I don't think a lot of people even knew existed. A forgotten block. Myself included. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and built I mean, you built 
you designed and built mm -hmm. uh, rather than renovate something old or mm -hmm. you know go in and paint the walls and put mm -hmm. industrial ductwork up. Well, so like we that. almost landed in that exact situation. We put a uh, put a bid in on the building where Hart Gallery is now on Main Street, which would have been cool. Which would have been cool, Beautiful and it, it would have. Who knows what it would look like now, you know? But that would have been a, a pretty cut and dry retrofit with a with a small yard. It got nabbed from us. We um, were so hurt. Yes, we Damn were. You, Jay and Ellen. Yeah, they're great though, man. So yes, but I, I guess, guess we wouldn't all, have met you otherwise. All worked out the way it was supposed to. Um, it was a dagger at the time, but it caused us to to um, hit the streets again, as it were, and and actually revisit that back block where we had mistakenly thought there was just this tiny. Right, uh, decrepit house for sale, and it turned out to be the entire block, and, and a light bulb kind of went off there. So is that why you, you were able to get pretty good sized piece of property for I assume? Yeah, the the seller he had spent ten years putting together ten or so different tiny parcels that made up that entire block. Nice. So I mean, the neighborhood itself was very different back then. You know, we had a vision for an affordable overnight accommodations and wanted to serve you food and drink. Since, we, you know, 2010-ish when we started looking around down there, there wasn't as much. You know, Terminal was down there. There were a few businesses that were doing their thing. But it, since then, it has really turned into this entertainment and nightlife capital. So just such a, a different place now that you wouldn't have envisioned back then. And I bring it up because it's not like we were smart enough to see all that coming. You know, the uh, area ended up being centrally enough located that we wanted to do it there and you know, we were See, lucky that it grew up around us and there were mm -hmm. awesome neighbors around us that are willing to fulfill the grander vision of that entertainment district i was gonna let you claim it no i see <laughs> i was getting ahead of you because people give us undue scratch that we'll take yeah. it yeah <laughs> we knew exactly what we were doing i was gonna totally let you claim it uh visionaries we planned everything um, stupid aries <laughs> Now that we've established that you didn't have this grand vision, you did build a very cool, two very cool buildings. So where in the process did it go from, mm -hmm. wow, we really don't know what we're doing to let's yeah. make the coolest building we can. Well, it's, uh, it starts with that first thing you said, we don't know what we're doing and we are honest enough with ourselves and each other about the limitations of our experience and our skills and our talents. and. So we try to stack the bench with people who are really talented. We're not architects, you know? I mean, we're, we're hands-on and, and we're, we like to try to be creative and involved, um, but it helps a lot if you have some heavy hitters on your team, like the guys who helped us design and build the places. Who did it? Let's give them credit. Yeah, the crash pad, uh, that was Blythe Bailey's um, brainchild as far as the, the design. Um, back when he was still working for a private architecture firm before he became a big city man. And shout out to Taylor Bowers. He was also yeah, Taylor Bowers involved as well. So, so those guys were our, our lead architects for that project. Green Spaces consulted on lead certification and the other green touches and gave us grant money back when they were in their early years and they were still doing you know, that. funded by uh, Lindhurst Foundation when Lindhurst was doing their five-year Main Street plan. Um, How much did it change? What was your initial when you sat down oh, and said, here's what we want? Oh, initially, we were going to use this other decrepit house, renovate that thing, gut it and renovate it, and turn that into some of the sleeping quarters, build a tiny little um, side building that would have been the bathhouse. And we even imagined doing like a bamboo forest that was cut up into little private tent sites. So it changed a lot. <laughs> yes. So then we did none of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and even, you know, 
before then when we were coming up with the idea, one of the first formal things we did was take a springboard business planning course, which I guess is now co-starters, uh, but same kind of class. And I don't know, every few years I come across the business plan we wrote for that that basically doesn't explain anything that we mm-hmm. eventually ended up doing, but it helped us work out a lot of things that were not going to work. So it's still very valuable, but to your question, we've come a long way from when we started down this road. How far? On a, on a timeline or whatever to to where, gosh, we're two guys who don't know anything to we think we know what we're doing. How far along are you? Uh, never. Yeah, I don't think we're there yet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> We it's might have known what we were doing if we hadn't opened a bar restaurant too. We're starting, right. you know, we, we had no experience in basically either of the businesses. Dan had waited tables, but, but Aside from that, you know, job code wise, we had no experience around running a business, let alone these two particular businesses. So, you know, eight years later, crash pad, six years later, flying squirrel, we're starting to understand how those businesses work and how they should in the grander context of a restaurant and a a hostel. Uh, But yeah, we don't fool ourselves into thinking we have this thing figured out here. There's a lot of work for us to still do and a lot of things to still learn. Yeah, I mean, also the external factors, just the way that the neighborhood and the city is changing. uh, I mean, that causes us to have to constantly reevaluate the way we do things. So it's uh, we're not we're not in a bubble. Yeah, we're going to talk more about that. Mm -hmm. But I just think this is so fascinating because for people listening who don't know, both buildings are architecturally extremely unique, uh, very functional. They're they're wow kind of buildings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're built to last. They're simple. They appear uh, simple. They, yeah, when you sit and start looking around. Yeah, you know, we kept rather than putting up a whole lot of ornate coverings like you do with walls and stuff like that. We found a lot of beauty in the raw materials, and particularly the uh, the lot yeah, the squirrel, the big steel beams that are the backbone of the building we left those exposed and like the people who made them they ended up showing up after they shipped them down to be installed and they're like we just had to come down and look at like when we saw your drawings calling for this stuff to like be on the outside we had to come look at like what that was going to be about so you know and fits with our other you know ethos no tv we want you to be talking to people and enjoying life so to that note we wanted to have an interesting enough space to look at and keep capture the attention but still make the overall experience about you and your guests and just being people because it's they are so different uh hindsight you you love them are there yeah things that we wish don't you love all your children (laughs) (laughs) but there are things i wish i had done differently yeah we uh i mean nothing that like still pains me after all these years we didn't I mean, we weren't thinking about it in this way, but like with the crash pad, for instance, it's not a building that is well suited to be like built out if we wanted to expand it. Mm. You know, it's like this huge concrete bunker. So we didn't allow ourselves a lot of flexibility to like add on to it. But I mean, that's a small thing at the end of the day because we've got the rest of the property and the building looks the way it looks and it functions the way it functions based on the way it was designed. So, you know, I guess guess that's kind of a a small thing. We could have put a bigger living room in, should have put a much bigger living room in, I guess is what I meant. Squirrel wise, it took us a few years to realize we had kind of created the most complex type of bar and restaurant you can, just meaning every sort of moving part of a food and beverage program and a front and back of house that you could have in any particular style of restaurant. We found that we kind of had them all. So managing all those systems, it's taken us a while to figure that out and learn to love simplicity. I guess I have one frustration that's not 
in anybody's control, but the uh, rules for getting a liquor license when we designed the place, you had to have 75 seats inside. And that was just the law of the land. So that's what we designed around. Mm. And then as soon as we broke ground, they dropped it to 40 seats. And now I don't even know if there's a seat count anymore. They've completely changed the, the structure of the right. liquor by the drink on-premises license. So just knowing that if things had been different or if we had been six months or a year slower and getting going that we could have built a place that was half the size i just try not to think about it because it would have made things a lot easier to be clear for all our abc friends listening we love you and this was not about you this was just saying that smaller would have been more manageable right before we started it's not the devil before we started talking i I had mentioned the whole foodie thing um is is fascinating to me but i also know it's a ton of work Mm mm-hmm it's kind of like the newspaper business. You don't get ahead for tomorrow. Yeah, and there's and there's all. no real thing like uh, autopilot isn't really a word that we yeah, use in that I mean. industry. You can't. Every day is a chance to impress or totally blow it. Mm-hmm. What in the world made you guys think you could do it? Well, going back to my early point about us kind of accidentally falling into this, I mean, we envisioned a tiny little bar in the hostel, and that would have been it for, for our phase one. Um, once we started learning about liquor licensing, that part of it necessarily grew into a phase two because you really have to uh, be a full service restaurant in order to serve liquor and wine. But our, I mean, that wasn't the only reason. Our, our reasons were also to provide a much needed amenity, like not just for our hostel guests, which are 30 to 40 people at a time, but for the whole neighborhood, which, which there was. Uh, it was early, but there was momentum in the direction of it becoming more of a district. And so, you know, that's why we wanted to do Sunday brunch. Not because there were already a ton of people down there touring the area, but because we knew people lived down there. In, in my head, I'm hearing what you're saying, but, but you guys in both of those buildings, they get tied with the sort of Southside Renaissance. Mm-hmm. It was, you're saying it wasn't on purpose, it uh-huh. just happened timing, but, but I think when a lot of us who've been around for a while think Southside Renaissance, mm-hmm. You guys are a big, big part of it. Um, sure. I mean, I don't know. You know, it helps having more people down there, other people being able to see us going down and doing it, and then all the other great operators in town come open up a, a shop over there. Yeah, we, we were at the start of, of one wave, you know, because um, before we built, you had Need Loves and the Terminal and T-Bones and Aaliyah. Um, we were not the first. Yeah, exactly. And then a bunch of more kind of like casual late night social kind of places that are not in the fine dining camp and they're not in the brewery camp or the family friendly camp. A lot of those places followed us. Um, but I, I see that as, as something that was inevitable in the progress of the neighborhood. Having said all that, we're at a place in the city. We had a conversation a while ago that it's continues to shift, doesn't it? The Mm -hmm. whole scene continues to shift. Absolutely. Um, and the bar restaurant, scene as we've already said is tough Mm -hmm. you you Mm -hmm. it can change it does change right you had a good week i think one of you said you just because we had a good wednesday doesn't guarantee Mm -hmm. we're going to have a good saturday right yeah yeah what are the what are the challenges what do you get what's the challenge now what'd you say six years later Mm -hmm. it's a extremely unpredictable business night by night anyway especially considering the population density right around us. I think that's a big factor. I mean, we've got thousands of apartments being built, but right now it feels like there are more restaurants and bars than there are people to to pack them all out every night. And so to your point you just made, if we have a really busy Wednesday, 
that doesn't mean much about Saturday necessarily, but it does probably mean we're going to have a slow Thursday or that we're coming off of a slow Tuesday. There aren't that many people who are fans of our restaurant who will come in there enthusiastically and pack it out one night and then all come back the next night. We just don't really see that happen that much. It helps that, that we see over the last couple of years way more tourists coming down to our side of town. That has definitely buffered it and leveled it out a little bit. But um, it just, we're not at that point where all the area restaurants are busy all the time simply because of their location, even though I believe that that day is ahead of us somewhere. There's just a lot more quality competition now. When we opened up, there were far fewer places. If you said, I want to go get a nice meal and a nice drink, yeah, there were spots. But if you look at how many have opened since, and clearly I don't have any numbers to back this up, but I mean, there's just a, a lot. If you want to go out for great food and drink, the scene in Chattanooga has grown, and it's great. There are a lot more options. Mm-hmm. Right. What about identity? Um, I think we talked before. So my other answer to your question, hard to keep up with and always is and has been a challenge, is just the culture in general. When we started with CrashPad, we had three employees while we were embarking on the designing and building process with Flying Squirrel. And you know, through that year-ish, we had inadvertently created a culture and figured out what's important to us and how we want to run businesses, our underlying business principles. Then we're staring at or we're about to go from three to 30 employees overnight. We've built this way we like to do business. How in the heck do we maintain that? Mm-hmm. So we looked at designing our Crash Pad Hospitality course, uh, which basically the first day in the restaurant, everybody front and back of house was out front, and it was two sessions on Crash Pad Hospitality. How do we treat each other? How do we treat our guests? The, again, the general underlying philosophy of how we're going to do business, and all our businesses are in the hospitality business, so there are these you know, underlying principles to them all. So you put all that emphasis on the front end, get everybody psyched and trained up. It's very challenging to keep up with that as you go and have ongoing kind of training. You know, ultimately it comes down to living it every day, right? But it can't hurt to have the refreshers. And you know, as soon as you're not paying attention to it, it swerves in a way that you're not expecting and it takes a while to kind of get it back. And then you realize you have all these new people and you haven't talked to them about this stuff. So that's that, that turnover is to Max's point about culture and keeping the culture strong. And keeping everybody on the same page, uh, turnover on our staff is far and away the biggest obstacle to, to having that be a easy path. I, I promise you, you're not alone. Yeah. I, I've told this story many, many times. My brother owned Pizza Pizza. Oh, I love Pizza Pizza, yeah, man. Miss that place. Yeah. Shout out, out to that cheesy pasta they had. Oh, oh that man. cheese wad. Mm. The Greek salad, mm-hmm. the Brainerd burrito. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sad now. <laughs> sad and hungry. And hungry. <laughs> But his staffing was his biggest issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, he, he had one guy went up on the roof to smoke a joint and fell through the skylight. Mm-hmm. And didn't well, at under- least he can't blame workers' comp. Didn't understand why he wasn't, was fired. Uh-huh. You know, he, he had two people on a beautiful spring day, didn't show up, came in the next day, and Scott's like, they said, dude, it was gorgeous out. We went to the lake. Didn't call. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, expected to clock in the next mm-hmm. day. I guess it was rainier the next day. But mm-hmm. those kinds of stories I hear all the time Yeah, from restaurants. And the other, I don't know if you guys have found it, but I've, I've heard for decades from people who have restaurants, either you or a family member needs to be there all the time or food, money, whatever, just flies right out. Yeah, it, it, uh, you got to watch. So, so, like, even aside from issues of, like, you know, theft or just bad behavior and, and we're lucky never to have had real problems with either of those things having no matter how strong and capable and kind and even-handed your upper management team is 
it feels different when the owners are in the building. That's a funny kind of double-edged sword because it feels really good to be a part of it. And it feels a little scary to know that things are different. We trust our management team so much. They're, they're the best people that we've ever worked with in the business. Extensions of us. Yeah, exactly. But it's just different. You know, it, it makes a different impression on the frontline staff, especially the newer ones, when they see the actual owners in there busting their humps. Well, and, and to your point, point earlier max i'm glad to hear you say that because i think it's lost on a lot of businesses restaurants in particular but just being nice Mm -hmm. we're in the hospitality business it sounds crazy Mm -hmm. that we got to be talking about how amazing it is to just be nice but just be nice i will return a second and third time if the food isn't quite right, mm-hmm. if the waitress or waiter is especially nice, mm-hmm. or the owner, or I get a hello. Sure. Or I get a... You communicate. Things go wrong. It's how you handle it, you know? And that's exactly that's right. I'll tell you, here's a big challenge that we never could have imagined uh, would be a source of stress. And it's not in like the day to day sense, it's not on the front of my mind. But think about this when you walk up to the building for the first time, it's a really striking building. And it puts off its own energy and it's got this real presence. Consider the expectation that that sets up for a first-time guest when they assume, well, the way it looks, well, the food's got to be great and the service has to be on point and these people must really know what they're doing and I'm going to have a great time. Now, if we fall short on any of those, we look like idiots. Imagine if the place was in like a cinder block shack, but we had the same menu and the same culture and the same work ethic, we would be blowing people's minds on on a more consistent basis than we do right now when basically the, what sets the bar for the guests is their first glimpse of the place. And then we are on a good day, we deliver, but on a day when somebody calls in or, you know, it's a full moon or something like that, we are kind of scrambling to fulfill the other parts of the guest's expectation. That's, That's a, a great point. huge challenge. That's a great point. The building does does set the tone, which kind of gets to the identity thing uh, uh, question from earlier. I, I I think, and I hope I'm not speaking out of turn because the previous conversation was sort of a, a meeting. So if we'll correct you, let me know. Um, am I correct that there is or was some questions for you guys among patrons? Is it a bar? Is it a place to get a drink and then go eat? Is it a, you know, all night? Yeah, I know absolutely. that was a question you guys were asking among yourselves at, at one point sure. recently, right? Yeah, we still deal with that. Um, I mean, it's an extension of what Dan was talking about, that bar that is set just by the first impression of what it looks like. And when we were building it, we knew we wanted to have that building. We knew we wanted a cocktail program to match. Uh, we had hired a chef and we knew that we wanted food, but I don't think we quite realized you, know, you walk in there when it's all kind of said and done. It's like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, we really need to bring it on the, you know, make the food program match. We always knew we wanted small bites that would complement the drinking, but it's like, well, this has the potential to be its own thing. Again, instead of just coming here for a drink before you go somewhere else for dinner, we could deliver some amazing food from Appy's all the way up to entrees. Right. So, but having launched how we did, we just kind of fought an uphill battle, you know, we're a bar, we can't be, you know, the great food, sit down dinner. So we've just been kind of playing catch up and trying to change everybody's perception uh, since. And ultimately what people think about us is one thing that's driving our policy making, but another is, is what we want the place to be. And what drives that is making it easier and more fun to work at and to run. 
And so it's certainly more fun and easy when we're busier. So how do we get busier? How do we get on the, on the circuit of the actual diners who go to Easy Bistro and Aaliyah and St. John's and Meeting Place, you know? Um, how do we get on their radar? You can't, uh, you know, as Max was saying, the food was not an afterthought as far as our preparations when we opened, but it was an afterthought to a lot of people considering the effort that we put into our drink program and, and the way the place greets you with this huge bar, you know? Um, so all fine and good, but you can't pay for a staff and a facility that's capable of putting out high-end food if you're serving appetizers to people all night who are going to go somewhere else for dinner. Um, we know so many people in the industry. We've heard plenty of whispering secondhand about Flying Squirrel needs to make up its mind about what it's going to be. And we're like, yeah, no kidding. I mean, we're <laughs> that would make it easier and more fun if, if we could really kind of settle in. Um, it's such an interesting, and this is why I wanted to talk to you guys. I've been covering restaurants, food, entertainment, all that for 30 years. And my former boss, June Hatcher, and I used to have a um, kind of a running conversation. Uh, we would get the call for a new restaurant. We would go have and sit with the owners and whatever. And there were like three or four things that any one of them was guaranteed we know it's going to fail kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, uh, did you do any R&D? No, other than... I, I eat food. <laughs> I'm, I'm modeling it after my favorite place in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to have good food. It's going to be fun. You know, mm -hmm. we're going to have good music type of thing. And we're like, hmm, yeah. not going to work. Because no, it's just somebody it. who inherited, you know, somebody died and left them some money. And they just think. The other one is, is we think it's going to be fun. Mm -hmm. you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, it'll be engaging. I mean, yeah, it has its fun to it. It's just also a lot of work. It's exhilarating. It's a lot. They don't seem yeah. to see the work. It's, it's they a lot, like any job out there. Sure. There's a lot of monotony. It's you know not everything is the glamorous portion, and they're between the good and the great businesses are the ones that do those little things every day forever. And and seem to have the total package. I, you were talking about the food. This there was a jazz club on the other end of Main Street called Birdland. Mm -hmm. Many, many years ago. The guy who owned it uh, was a friend's father. Um, he's since passed away. He brought big-time talent, he w and it became very, very popular, but he basically had, like, fried chicken mm -hmm. sticks. Because, he, as he said, nobody's coming here for dinner. Well, it became a place because of jazz that people wanted to go, you know, date night. Mm -hmm. And then they would get there, and all you can get are cheese sticks. And it ended up putting him out of, I mean, it, it was the other end of Main Street. Mm -hmm. It was rough. Sure, yeah. But it succeeded on some level, but mm -hmm. he didn't have the total Yeah. The total package. Yeah, it's food. important. I mean, you know, it, it doesn't have to be important. Look at a place like uh, London Calling, which just opened up. They're only open late night. They're a cocktail bar. They have as much food as they, as they need to to feed hungry people late at night who, who are long past their dinner. But that place is exactly what it needs to be. It is a killer cocktail bar. It is sexy. It is dim. It's packed because of what they set out to do. I mean, they're doing exactly what they plan to do. And, and I hope that it's working out very well for them. I think it is. Right. We, for the, for the size of our place and, and where it is and what we kind of set out to do, we are playing by a little bit of a different set of rules. You know, like we, we need to have a strong dinner. 
Right. Um, especially because we don't stay open as late as we used to. And we're not the it spot for late night. We're not packed at three in the morning now like we used to be in our first couple of years. It's all it's complicated, but it's all interrelated. It's like part of the reason for that is our accumulated fatigue over the years of dealing with those late nights and dealing with challenging drunk guests and, and, and dealing with the burnout of our frontline staff from having to deal with that. Um, it's hard to sell a place that is trying to be on the on the dining circuit that also flips a switch and turns into uh, the thriller video of drunk zombies after uh, after two <laughs> o'clock in the morning you know it just right, we, right. we felt after a time that we couldn't do both and so now suddenly that food side of the program and those five to nine hours are even more critical for our survival so it's like in that way we've been forced to pivot a little bit and put more attention on a program that's going to drive people in during the daylight hours um, because we, we've tried and moved on from just raking in money on cheap cheap well liquor drinks after midnight and it's hard because i mean both for us and your friends you know chicken example you got to listen to your customers and you usually have to change accordingly but how far do you go without losing your identity your culture your brand like everything you set out to do it's impossible to please everybody but finding that sweet spot in the middle of actually listening and taking in the feedback and finding a way to do it but still be true to yourselves yeah and also if your frontline staff aren't happy then then you're screwed no matter right no matter what guests you're listening to the people with the kids who want to come in and eat dinner at, at 5 p.m versus the people who say oh man i can't believe you guys bumped your last call to be an hour earlier like i'm not going to come here with my friends for our last stop anymore and mm. you know we may be breathing a sigh of relief for that latter point but we also don't fully know yet how to respond to the former you mentioned earlier that it become you're getting more and more tourists. How, how does that change what you do? It doesn't. Does it? it doesn't really. It's uh, it, it, it's still the tourists that flock to the south side. I suppose are a little bit different than the tourists that continue to flock to the riverfront area. They're looking for more high-end restaurants and less family-friendly stuff. In, in general, it, it seems from our point of view, it doesn't feel like it is pigeonholing us in any way into into having to serve you know, burgers and fries. I say that we just put a burger on our menu. <laughs> it's because we wanted to. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's great to have more people coming to the neighborhood because yeah. it really has been this grand experiment over the last decade plus starting with the foundations, putting money in there to try to revitalize. And you know, ultimately if it's a lot of retail food, beverage, you need bodies down there to support mm -hmm. it. And right. locals are great. We love locals. We want locals, but you know, this is a vibrant tourist market, and so it needs to capture that. And it's nice that it's bringing people down there and away from a lot of the focal points that have been for the last couple decades. Yeah, and if the increase in tourism is causing us to to renew our focus on any one thing, it's definitely the hospitality side of things more than the actual what's printed on our food and drink menus. Because you can fall into a trap. If we were truly locals only, then almost everybody that comes through that door, we know them already. Right. and you can afford to be a little bit more casual and it's just different when you know somebody. Now, when somebody's coming in for their first time ever, then suddenly your host position is like the most important position in the house yeah. at, at that moment in that guest's trajectory through your place, you know? Yeah, you don't, hello, you don't know them. Face. Yeah, you don't know what they're into. You don't know if they've ever been in a place like this before. It's like, so you have to really crank up the intensity of that hospitality game and really pay attention to your guests. And that has caused us to like really double down on like the hospitality training and the ongoing, just staying on top of things, like making sure that all of our staff 
are truly on the same page. You go into some places where it feels like the, and, and this is not a well-run place that I'm describing, but where like the host stand is kind of like its own island and whoever's managing doesn't really know what's going on up at the host stand. Or they don't know if people there are being friendly or if they're being accommodating or if they're having their own conversation and ignoring some people who have just walked up or right. if it's an uncomfortable situation that they're not, that they don't know how to deal with. And so they kind of shut down. It's like those things are, are crises for us when they happen. Fortunately, by the layout of our place, you know, I can look across our whole restaurant and see yep. an awkward interaction about to happen between some people who are rolling up with a, with a infant car seat, you know? Yeah. And so we can, we can nip it in the bud, but it's a big challenge managing brand new expectations of our, of our business and our neighborhood from people we've never seen before. For those who don't know, we are 21 plus during the week. Dan doesn't just hate people with babies. <laughs> <laughs> Last sort of question. Um, the menu, it changes. You guys adapt. You're, you're not, you know, there are some restaurants where it's going to be a burger and fries every single time mm-hmm. or their chicken, you know, they're, this is what they're known for. Yours evolves. You have to, you have to listen, I assume, to people, right? Because I know a couple of years ago when I was going through this vegetarian phase, I went in and you didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. And the, the waiter, I was like, is there something that can be adapted? And it was not really. And now mm-hmm. I notice you have a, a quite an extensive mm-hmm. offering. Mm-hmm. Things like that. For you guys, because it's, as you said, the building creates this expectation and this high bar mm-hmm. and the food has to be of a certain thing. I assume that's just as challenging, right? Is knowing what to put on there. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of two things. So stuff like zooming out and saying, do we have enough vegetarian stuff on the menu to please everybody? Are we staying a pace of like the, I hate using this word, but like the, the market trends, you know, or are we, are we, are we relevant? That's something that all of management looks at, and that we we steer the program the as a, as a team. Yeah, as far as what's actually on the menu, like the the changing items day to day, we have always um, allowed whoever is running our kitchen at that time pretty large degree of creative freedom. Our constraints are not very well defined. You know, we we want approachable yet somewhat high-end food uh, using as many local ingredients as we can make it cool make it fun high quality um, in, in a casual atmosphere you know that, that's always been kind of like the the theme of the place if there was one and so yeah the way the menu changes day to day like that's on chef um, as far as responding to changing large trends in the market it's like that's stuff that we all have to look at and, right. and that you don't need to be a chef to say I know from looking at a glance that we need a less meat heavy brunch menu or whatever it is. Right. And you know, there is something to be said for the menu staples and just running a restaurant in general. And you know, roughly about half our menu stays pretty static. And it's the garlic fries, the pimento cheeses of the world, these hits that have been on for years and people have come to know and become addicted to, and we want to keep those around. But then we also have the local as well as the seasonal component and trying to, you know, rather than just switch everything up willy nilly all the time, like let's really pay attention to what makes sense, you know, this time of year. So like it's heirloom tomato season. So we're starting to get in some beautiful tomatoes and chefs just coming up with new dishes around those and other stuff like that. So having the the best of both worlds, the classic staples that will be there to comfort you as well as the ability to play with all these fun and seasonal ingredients. I mean, early on, it's like the, our shared, 
vision of like the perfect menu was one that was essentially like written on a chalkboard each night and this is what we've got over time we realized that the only places that can do that have like 10 two tops in them yeah and that's it tiny places that probably take reservations or even if they don't they're they're in a place where they know they're going to be busy enough to move through all their stuff and they've got the flexibility being where they are in a thriving and diverse restaurant community i'm talking about a place like charleston Mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, or Portland, Maine, or, or name your pick and any, any bigger city or midsize city that that's really well known for its food and drink scene. You've got these small places that, that do what they do. And there is no element of trying right. to be crowd pleasing there. And they don't have to because of the density of people that are coming through and the density of different options and the expectation of, of all the, of, of places just like that. There's a market for it, but it's easier to do when you're a tiny place. And so the, now, the to that sort of point, I, I guess the menu thing is it's, it's the do something well versus chasing trends. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, I would, I would think it'd be easy to fall into that chasing trends mm-hmm. trap. And right. that's not necessarily a bad idea. You are going to alienate your regulars if you do that. But if you're just trying to survive, well, by that metric, there's literally not a thing wrong with it. A lot of people come in and say, what do you mean you don't have a burger? Well, now we do, but, you know, for the last six <laughs> years. <laughs> <an example. laughs> um, so, you know, we it's trying to find a balance of, of being, you know, again, if we had 10 tables, we could kind of do what we wanted. But considering that we are in a increasingly touristy district and it's this big place that's centrally located, if you don't want a lot of people walking away shaking their heads... I mean, look, this is the reality that we created for ourselves, whether or not we meant to, and we didn't mean to, right. but now we're realizing that this is our lot. This is the place. This is where it is. And so if we want to keep the lights on, like, yeah, I mean, we have to cater to what people want. We can't be above that, you know? Right. The word trend has always bugged me, though. I feel like it's a dirty word because trends are temporary. We're not in this to be temporary. And again, I'm not. Sounds like I'm trying to have a fight, and you know, you I feel the, this. I feel the other side, but it's like what we are building these businesses to last, and yeah, we've done a lot of figuring out, and we're still figuring out who we are. But like chasing trends, I know people build businesses around it, and businesses around telling you what trends are, but they're just they're temporary. We're here for the long haul, so yeah, yeah. I want to be timeless, enduring, and mm-hmm. so that's why you know where we end up at local and seasonal. Now, yeah, those are kind of trends right now, but that's. In my mind, those are forever going to be. That's the way you should yeah. do food. Especially here in this part of the country. Right, right. No. Surrounded by farms. To me, know? it's... to me. That's not a gimmick. When I think about it, it's like, why did we ever get away from that? You know, the mm-hmm. funny thing is, it's like, man, millennials invented farming. Mm-hmm. What it's yeah. like <laughs> 10, 10 years ago. It's like, all of a sudden, this fresh tomato. What a uh-huh. great idea. Yep. Um, all right, last question. What's the future? What's next? What's the, what's the next crazy big idea? Oh, man, we used to have so many, but... Uh, you know, there's no use speculating. I feel like if we had built the squirrel half of its size, we might have it a little more under wraps by now, but right now we don't. Um, the neighborhood is changing so rapidly, and uh, inside the operation, there, there's kind of these big sea changes. You know, we had a couple years of really hard turnover, and this isn't people... I mean, you know, obviously, if 10 people leave over the course of a year, at least a couple of them probably just didn't like it here. But for the most part, um, the people who have left us have left for reasons that don't make us cry all night, um, but they left. Mm -hmm. And so you can't keep moving forward when you're dealing with stuff like that, you know? So we had a couple really hard years of turnover right now. We feel like our staffing is in a great place and we're, we're, we've got this foundation to build on, but 
all that means, that doesn't free us up yet to take our focus off of the squirrel. You know, it's like we have a, a short list of other concepts that we would love to do, but we're not there yet simply because the bar is still giving us so much to kind of stay on top of. And it feels far from that, that autopilot. And part of the turnover is, I mean, it's the nature of the business, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. Usually you have college students, young mm-hmm. people who are in a transitional mm-hmm. part of their own lives. Yeah, so. absolutely. And that, that's just part of it. You know, we're, Especially we're, in this city, you don't have a lot of mm-hmm. lifetime. Sure. And if you want a, a full professional staff, that takes a really, really long time to build. And you're going to have an easier time building a professional staff behind the bar than you are going to serving tables. You're going to have an easier time building a staff of professional servers at St. John's than in a place that stays open until one in the morning. Right. You know, sure. They want um, life. so these are our challenges. And, and so that's another thing that informs our decision-making for the restaurant is that like our staff is going to come and go and we need to, we don't spend an hour talking about the food and drink before we open every day. Um, it's just a different kind of place. And so it's got to be a little more freewheeling and fun and a little less buttoned up than, than some of our like quote competition you know, the, the other restaurants that we really admire and, and in whose company we, we aim to be from the guest perspective, it's a different beast. Throw it in the personal aspect, too, of what the future holds and our thoughts on it. You know, if you babies, asked us, babies, babies. If you asked us a few years ago, we were pretty much ready to open a new concept because we thought we knew how to run restaurants. So aside from being humbled and learning how that wasn't the case... We also delightfully started a couple of families, and between the two of us, we got three kids under five. So uh, as hands-on as we want to be in our businesses, we want to be that way with our family, too. So just finding that overall yeah. balance, and you know, you only have a limited amount of time. And right now, we got young families that we're fortunate we get to spend some time with. So that's uh, uh, very appealing compared to just firing a whole other bunch of new concepts that are going to require a ton of time. All right, Max, Dan. Max Thanks, Barry. Barry, Barry. 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 Right. Nope. <laughs> Nobody knew where you were looking. You called yourself out. <laughs> People confuse us all the time. I know, I know. Um, Even our staff. Thank you guys so much for doing this. this yeah, was, thanks for having us. Thank you fun. for the opportunity. This was great. Good yeah, conversation. Absolutely. People are strange. People get ready. People. People who need. People. Shine.